fun to watch. Honest 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast series recaps, everybody. I'm your host, Bobby Blanco, you know from the Mass and All Access podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Apologies for this episode dropping later in the week than usual. A couple factors that led to that. First off, I got my second COVID shot earlier this week on Tuesday. Was not feeling all that hot on Wednesday, but much better now and on Thursday uh, after the conclusion of the National Series. Of course, the Nats were off on Thursday after three games against the Cardinals, uh, but just wanted to get my body right and feel much better before recording this so I can bring you the best podcast that I can. Also, the Nationals' next opponent, the New York Mets, are finishing up a series in Chicago against the Cubs Thursday night, so I wanted to make sure I had the most up-to-date numbers for you in terms of our uh, series preview portion of the podcast later on in the show. Looking forward to this weekend's matchup in City Field. Of course, the Nationals again off on Thursday. They just concluded a seven-game homestand uh, with three games against the St. Louis Cardinals. A rematch from just a week ago when the Nationals won two of three at Bush Stadium in St. Louis. Entering the series, the Nationals were five and eight, still trying to get closer to five hundred before hitting the road again this weekend. Let's break it down. Pre-game news before this series opener was Luis Avilan deciding to undergo Tommy John surgery after finding out he tore his UCL on Saturday. He'll be out for the remainder of the year and attempt a comeback for the 2022 season. As for the game, coming into this series opener, the Nats were really hoping Joe Ross could sustain the success he found through his first two starts in which he pitched a combined 11 scoreless innings against the Dodgers and the same Cardinals just five days prior. He extended that streak to 12 with a perfect first inning on Monday night. But that's where it ended as he gave up at least one run in each of the last four frames he pitched in, only lasting four and a third innings on 85 pitches and what would eventually be a 12-5 blowout loss. The Cardinals lineup tagged Ross for 10 runs on eight hits and four home runs, capped off by a Paul DeYoung grand slam in the fifth inning, his second homer of the game, and Ross's last batter faced. It was the third time a national starting pitcher had given up eight or more runs in less than a week. The four home runs that Ross gave up, two to DeYoung, including the Grand Slam, and back-to-back jacks to Tommy Edmond and Paul Goldschmidt in the third. Ross was able to use his sinker and slider effectively early on, a combo, of course, he's relied on heavily during his first two weeks of the season. His sinker consistently sat between 95 and 96 miles per hour. His slider hit 88 consistently. But after the game, Ross said he just wasn't executing pitches and thought that his early success was more attributed to him getting away with some bad pitches. I just wasn't really executing my pitches, um, leaving fastball up. And I was getting hit hard, making mistakes. Um, it's got to be better with location and um, try and work ahead and stay ahead. First seven or so batters, you seem to have really good command. So is there anything after that that you felt changed at all or kind of just the ebbs and flows of an outing? Um. I don't know if anything changed. I mean, I think I probably got away with a few uh, missed pitches early on. Um, but, I mean, I just, you know, like I said, it was just not really executing good pitches, you know, where I wanted to. And then uh, they made me pay for it and, you know, falling count or falling behind in the count and um, kind of having some longer ABs doesn't help. So just uh, wasn't my best stuff today. 
Ross's ERA ballooned from 0 to 5.87 after this one. And, of course, this adds to the concerns about the Nationals' rotation. Steven Strasburg placed on the injured list the day before. Patrick Corbin still struggling, and John Lester hadn't made his season debut yet. And in a game when the Nationals scored five runs, that's usually a game they can win behind their starting pitchers. We've seen the rotation be able to keep them in the game before, and when they have a lead, they can protect it. But as of Monday night, the Nats just can't trust this starting pitching staff to do that anymore. What was once what was once thought of as their biggest strength now turns into the Nats' biggest weakness. Jack Flaherty improved to 3-0 on this one. Joe Ross fell to 1-1. 12 runs, 12 hits, one error for the Cards. Five runs, seven hits, no errors for the Nats. Juan Soto did break a 0-for-11 slump with a double. That was the second longest hitless streak of his young career. Josh Bell had a double of his own with two runs scored. Starling Castro added two RBIs without recording a hit. And Josh Harrison, Victor Robles, pinch hitter Jordy Mercer, and even Joe Ross all added hits in this one as well. Ryan Harper pitched two scoreless innings out of the pen. Hernan Perez once again pitched a scoreless inning, this time in the ninth, uh, the second time he's faced the Cardinals as, as a pitcher. I think at one point registering a pitch about 48 miles per hour on the radar gun at Nats Park. Um, and Kyle Finnegan gave up a solo home run to Justin Williams, and Kyle McGowan also gave up a run in the eighth. I was actually in attendance for this one at Nationals Park in the press box, my first game. Back at Nationals Park since Game 5 of the 2019 World Series, another game in which Joe Ross started. And boy, was it great to see fans there. Uh, they filled every little portion of the of the ballpark that they could uh, up until the upper deck was filled, uh, much to Max Scherzer's delight. So it was great to see everyone out there uh, be loud and be involved in the game, even though it ended up being a 12-5 blowout loss. More bad news fell upon the Nationals before the game on Tuesday about 45 minutes before first pitched, Juan Soto was scratched from the starting lineup and placed on the 10-day IL with a left shoulder strain. He said the next day he doesn't know exactly what caused the strain. It had been bothering him. He told the trainers they scheduled an MRI and found the strain. The Nats decided to put him on the 10-day IL immediately, which they haven't always done in the past. They often let players kind of work their try to work their way back at least uh, over the next couple of days before making the final decision to uh, make a roster move. And Soto said he was surprised when they finally did make that decision to put him on the injured list. I mean, yes, uh, it was tough for me. I just, uh, just sit back and and just relax. It's just been tough. I tried to do my best, be on the field. I come to the field every day to work my 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 body and everything, and try to do everything right to don't get to this point. Uh, it just feel tough to be in the DL, but. Uh, they just want to keep me safe, uh, and they it's a long season. We just gonna we we want to play later in the season, not right now. So it's better to take a couple of days now than lose the half of the season. I think that's the right call for Juan Soto and the Nationals. Take care of this now. It doesn't seem to be that big of an injury, that serious of an injury, just a small strain in his left shoulder. He said it doesn't even bother him when he's swinging the bat. It's just when he's throwing the ball. Uh, in the outfield, so take care of it now. You want Juan Soto playing important innings and taking important at-bats in August and September and hopefully October as opposed to late April, early May. So I think it was a smart idea to take care of this now. And the good news is Soto will be required to miss at least 10 days starting Tuesday. That makes him eligible to return April 30th at the earliest, and the Nats only have seven games scheduled during that 10-day stretch. So hopefully by next Friday, Soto will be back in the lineup as the Nationals return 
from their road trip. In the meantime, Soto will be reporting to the alternate site at Fredericksburg um, and working out and taking at-bats and maybe playing some sing games over there. As for this game at Nationals Park on Tuesday night, it was kind of a wild one as far as 3-2 victories go for the Nationals. First of all, we just talked about how the Nats starting rotation, they need a bounce back from Patrick Corbin, and they got one in a big way. Six shutout innings from the left-hander, only gave up four hits and struck out five on 76 pitches. Since he hadn't pitched too deep into games yet this season, he and Davey Martinez agreed that that was the right time to pull the plug for him. After the game, Corbin saying the difference between this outing and his first two was just keeping it simple. Just kind of getting back to myself, uh, simplifying things, um, using my slider, um, trying to get out there, have some uh, um, success, see some results out there. Um, but yeah, I felt good. I, th- I thought it uh, kind of got better as the game went on and um, felt strong there even um, late in the game. So that was good to see. So um, just looking forward to can be in on this routine, get, getting my legs under me even more, uh, building up that pitch count and um, going out there and doing it, doing it again. What's that acronym? KISS? K-I-S-S? Keep it simple? Silly? Maybe that's something Patrick Corbin can keep in mind and take forward with him as he tries to revert back to his normal self over the course of the season. He would have been in line for the win thanks to Josh Bell's first home run as a national, a deep shot to right field that gave the home team a one nothing lead in the sixth. And Bell to right. Williams back. See you later. Josh Bell has the Nationals home run. Unfortunately, Corbin wouldn't get the win in this one because Tanner Rainey promptly gave the lead right back to the cards in the seventh thanks to the leadoff walk, a triple, a ground out, and a sack fly. But the Nationals stayed in the fight in the bottom of the eighth. With Giovanni Gallegos pitching for St. Louis, Andrew Stevenson playing right field for Juan Soto, drew a leadoff walk, Josh Harrison was hit by a pitch on the second offering, then Trey Turner hit an RBI single to tie the game at 2-2 and then stole second base, forcing the Cardinals to intentionally walk Kyle Schwarber. And after Mike Schilt put on a five-man infield just to get Starling Castro to strike out looking, the Nats finally took the lead when Jan Gomes drew a bases-loaded walk on four pitches. Brad Hand then came on to pitch a scoreless ninth to seal the 3-2 win. Daniel Hudson ended up as the pitcher of record going to 2-0. Gallegos took the loss falling to 1-2 and Hand earned his second save as a national. This one finished with two runs, six hits, zero errors for the cards. Three runs, six hits, one error for the Nats. Wednesday's finale brought another great game between these two clubs and wouldn't you know it, Max Scherzer was on the mound facing his hometown team for this 1-0 Nationals win. It was a cold and windy late afternoon in the district and Max got off to a cold start, having to escape a bases-loaded jam in the first and allowing another two runners in the second, elevating his pitch count to 49 after just two frames. But as Max almost always does, he settled in and dominated. He pitched six scoreless innings, allowing just four hits and striking out nine. He passed Hall of Famer Mike Mussina for 21st on Major League Baseball's all-time strikeout list just days after he passed Cy Young. Max is now 16 strikeouts away from becoming 20th all-time. At one point, he retired 12 batters in a row, once again relying on his fastball more than anything else, inducing eight swing and misses off of it, but also playing off the fastball, getting eight more whiffs on his slider, cutter, changeup, and curveball. The first couple innings, um, you know, I was trying to generate. It was a little cold today, uh, so I was trying to generate, and I was kind of getting out of my mechanics. I was jumping towards home plate. Um, you know, kind of identified that after the you know second inning. Um, I didn't have fastball location. I wasn't filling up the zone. Pitch count was out of control. And uh, after that, was able to then get back into my legs and, and realize, you know, kind of where the rhythm was, what I needed to do today. 
uh, and stay with my backside. And once I was able to do that, I was able to find rhythm uh, and then they will start executing with all the pitches. And that's when it gets fun. And that's when I get, you know, I'm out, you know, with Alex back there, uh, you know, we're able to go through our sequences, you know, go through our checks of what pitch to throw in what situation. And, you know, Alex did a great job tonight uh, of catching. And obviously he provided the big, you know, double RBI, you know, to really give us a lead. Um, to be able to go out there and win one nothing, uh, we'd like to win more, but hey, sometimes you got to win these games in the cold weather like this. You know, one can stick. And for me, being out there, um, you know, just don't get beat on a, a solo home run. You know, you know, keep that ball in the ballpark. Wind's blowing in. Uh, be aggressive at these guys and don't make a mistake. Over Max's last three starts, he has a 0.47 ERA, only one earned run in 19 innings. He has 24 strikeouts to just four walks a 138 opponent's batting average, which is 9 for 65, and he has 17 consecutive scoreless innings dating back to the third inning on April 11th in L.A. It is the third longest active streak in baseball. You just heard him right there. He was also giving credit to his catcher, Alex Avila. Of course, this battery would have taken home game balls in this one. You take Scherzer's outing, and but you also add Avila, who called a great game. He had to strike him out, throw him out, double play early on to get out of a jam or to help Scherzer get out of a jam more so, uh, and he scored the game's only run with an RBI double in the second, and he had another double late in the game. It was his first two-double game since May 18th, 2017 at Baltimore. And then the bullpen did their job with zero margin for error. Tanner Rainey bounced back with three strikeouts and a scoreless seventh, and I'm going to take the blame for Rainey's rough start um, on this one because I, of course, gave him bad luck. I had him on my fantasy team. He was not pitching well consistently. I ended up dropping him on uh, Wednesday morning, and of course he bounced back to strike out three. So as long as he's not on my fantasy team, it looks like Tanner Rainey will have good luck for the remainder of the season. Daniel Hudson got out of his own bases loaded jam in the eighth to keep it one nothing, and Brad Hand pitched a scoreless ninth for his third save, which coincidentally enough have all come against the Cardinals over the last week, um, and and which is hilarious that his first three saves as a National have come against the same team in less than a week. Uh, so he'll get, of course, get more chances to earn different saves against other teams moving forward. Max earned his first win. He improved to one and one. Carlos Martinez, who actually pitched really well for the Cardinals in six innings, uh, of course, just giving up the one run, but he falls to 0-4 on the season. Zero runs, six hits, one error for the Cards, one run, four hits, zero errors for the Nats. And funny enough, the Nationals did not win a single game by a score of one to nothing between 2018 and the 2020-20 seasons. They've got two games by that score in the last five days. They are now 7-9 on the season, which all things considered isn't that bad. Two games under 500 and a tight NL East race when you consider the COVID outbreak, the delayed start to the season, now all of the injuries, the rough starts by starting pitchers, guys who had their season starts or season debuts pushed back. They haven't had their number four starter even start yet. Um, so I think, of course, you would rather be 9-7 and seven or, or above 500, but it, it's not... It's, the guys have fought hard. They've played hard, and it's nothing to hang their head on too hard. It's also very early in the season, um, and we're seeing some good baseball out of this group so far. They're hitting the road to finally face the Mets. Of course, that was the, their first opponent on the schedule that had to be postponed due to the COVID outbreak, so they're finally going to face the Mets in City Field in New York. Uh, let's take a look at the opposite dugout. The New York Mets are managed by second-year skipper Luis Rojas, who was a quality control coach with the team back in 2019 and promoted to manager in January 2020 after the Mets mutually parted ways with Carlos Beltran due to his involvement in the Astros sign-stealing scandal. 
The Mets are currently 7-7, tied for first place in the National League East with the Phillies, but the Braves, Marlins, and Nats are each just one game back from those top two teams. Over the last 10 games, the Mets are 5-5, having just been swept by the Cubs in Chicago. Of course, this is the first series uh, against the Nationals this season. Last year, the Nationals won the season series against the Mets 6-4, and the the Mets have actually had to deal with a lot of postponements so far this season, a lot of schedule changes. Of course, obviously, the first series against the Nationals in D.C. due to the COVID outbreak with the Nationals. Uh, but then they had their season uh, series finale against the Marlins in the, one of their first series suspended in the top of the first to be played later in this uh, later in the season. Then two games of a four game set against the Phillies postponed. They had to play a doubleheader and the finale rescheduled for later in the season. And then the series opener in Colorado uh, postponed and they had to play a doubleheader the following day. So uh, tough luck for the Mets so far. A tough schedule. A lot of postponements ran into some tough weather in New York and then in Colorado. Um, so they've had a, a tough schedule uh, so far this season, which we'll get into a little bit in the ramifications of that. The pitching probables this weekend, Friday's opener, Eric Fetty will take on uh, Jacob deGrom, 7-10 on Masson. Saturday afternoon game, Joe Ross versus Marcus Stroman, 4.05 p.m. on Masson and FS1. And then Sunday's afternoon finale, Patrick Corbin versus Taiwan Walker, 1.10 p.m. on Masson. Going inside the Mets, of course, many people thought that they quote-unquote won the offseason this year. Steve Cohen officially became the owner of the team in November and the richest owner in baseball. They traded for Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco in a six-player deal with the Indians. And on March 31st, just hours before Lindor's deadline of opening day, he and the Mets agreed to a 10-year, $341 million extension that would keep him in New York through the 2032 season. They also signed Relief right-hander Trevor May to a two-year, $15.5 million deal. Catcher James McGann to a four-year, $40 million deal. And Sunday starter Taiwan Walker to a two-year, $20 million contract with a player option for the 2023 season. So how's that all played out for them so far? Well, the $341 million man Lindor just hit his first home run as a Met this week in Chicago, but he's just batting 204 with a 630 OPS and only three RBIs. On the plus side, he has walked 10 times. Uh, the big first baseman, Pete Alonso, the polar bear, leads the team with four home runs and 11 RBIs, but he also leads the team with 17 strikeouts and is only hitting 231 with a 793 OPS. J.D. Davis has been the only Met to consistently crush the ball so far this season. He's batting 444 with a 1246 ops, but he's been a disaster in the field at third base, making him a huge defensive liability. He also spent some time on the IL with a left-hand contusion, uh, but his defense has been so badly that there's been talk in New York of whether or not he should consistently see playing time. He's just that poor at third base, which also kind of plays to the larger uh, narrative for the Mets that their defense is just bad so far this season. So maybe the Nationals can take advantage of some poor fielding by the New York uh, this weekend. And uh, the new catcher, James McCann, is hitting just 250 with one home run. On the mound, of course, all eyes will be on Jacob deGrom as he starts for the Mets in Friday's opener. DeGrom actually asked for an extra day of rest and had his next start pushed back to Friday to face the Nationals and not the Cubs in Chicago. So that's where the schedule changing comes into play that I mentioned earlier. He had thrown 99 pitches in his last outing in the first game of a doubleheader in Colorado. But his start before that, he threw 95 pitches. uh, But there was a full week in between those two starts and he'll have an extra days of rest uh, when he faces the Nationals on Friday. And when DeGrom has six or more days of rest in his career, he has a 2.25 ERA, which is better than when he's on normal or short rest. 
On the season, he has the second-best ERA in all of baseball with 0.45, behind only Corbin Burns' 0.37 with the Brewers. DeGrom has given up four runs and two home runs, but at only one earned run on the season. And of course, he's not known for earning wins with the Mets, but in his career, he is 8-4 and four with a 2.61 ERA and 20 starts versus the Nationals. And the Nats managed to only face him one time last year in 10 games. And that was in the last series of the season. And they scored three runs in five innings off him. Saturday starter Marcus Stroman is technically only in his second season, the first full one with the Mets after being traded from Toronto mid-2019 and opting out last year due to the pandemic. He actually owns the sixth best ERA in baseball at 0.90 and is 3-0 on the season in three outings, going at least six innings in each. He's only allowed two runs to score in 20 innings of work, and this will be only the second time he has faced the Nationals in his career, of course, having spent the majority of his time in the American League with the Blue Jays. The first time came after he was traded to New York in 2019, in which he gave up four runs, nine hits, while striking out nine over six innings. Sunday's finale starter Taiwan Walker, of course, was on some people's offseason target list for the Nationals to fill out their rotation this past offseason, including yours truly. The 28-year-old is 0-1 with a 321 ERA and three starts this season. and He's also only faced the Nationals once in his career, giving up three runs and five hits in four and two-thirds innings back in 2017. Out of the bullpen, new guy Trevor May has a 338 ERA and six appearances. Closer Edwin Diaz has a 257 ERA and two saves in seven games. Jurius Familia has a 245 ERA in five games, while Dylan Patances is on the 10-day IL with a right shoulder impingement. This group, as recently as Thursday afternoon, actually had the worst ERA in the National League, has since improved to 12th best, good for them, at 461. Uh, they also have the second worst average against at 273 in the National League, but they've also pitched the fewest innings of any group. So the Mets will rely heavily on their starting pitchers this weekend as they have a lot to start the season early on. City Field will be at 20% capacity, capped at 8,492 seats. So a decent crowd expected this weekend in New York for this weekend series, especially with two afternoon games. That's going to do it for this series recap. Be sure to tune into the Mets series this weekend on Masson. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Masson All Access Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and check out our regularly scheduled live podcast, myself and Amy Jennings, on Monday morning after this Mets series on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. We'll be discussing the Nationals' injuries and how they have dealt with adversity so far to start this season. Of course, follow at Masson Nationals on all social media accounts, too. And check out Mark Zuckerman's coverage on MassonSports.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Bobby underscore Blanco to continue the conversation. Always happy to chat with fans, especially during the games this weekend. The next episode of our series recaps will drop Sunday night, Monday morning, uh, recapping this Mets series and looking ahead to a two-game set with the Blue Jays. Until then, enjoy the games, and we'll talk to you later. <laughs>